Welcome to Vintage McCoy. I'm Rick Brown filling in for Rob McCoy. Stay tuned. We've got a great program for you. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. Together, we will make America great again. I have never been more hopeful about America. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But because of the Watergate matter, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One small step for man. be able to sing with new meaning. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee, I sing. We shall pay any price, bear any dirt, uphold any foe, to ensure the survival and the success of liberty. It is indeed we are the defenders of freedom. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Those who forget the past are destined to be And now, your host. Pastor Rob McCoy. Well, welcome to Vintage McCoy. I'm Rick Brown filling in for Rob McCoy. And so I'm so glad you joined us because we're going to be looking tonight at America's failure of socialism. Do you know that America has already tried socialism and it failed miserably? Many don't know that because, once again, if we don't know our history, we are destined to repeat it. So we want to discover some history this week. In a series that we're going to be presenting to you, these three topics will be coming forth. Tonight, America's failure of socialism, America's success of liberty, America's revolution versus France's revolution. As we look at these three in a series, we want to discover the roots of socialism, we want to discover the roots of liberty, and we want to be able to look at things and walk in the freedom and the liberty that our forefathers discovered as they floundered around trying to discover these things. We're going to be looking at these, um, the notion of socialism that was really presented by Plato in the island of Atlantis back in 959 BC. And everything that is built upon this concept has been built upon Plato's thoughts of this mythical, magical place called Atlantis. Years later, Sir Thomas More wrote The Island of Utopia in 1516, building upon this whole thought. There would be uh, free health care, there would be free identical clothing, there would be identical public housing, and there would be no privacy, there would be no taverns, uh, privacy just doesn't exist, there would be no private property, there would be no families, thus 
the statement that comes, it takes a village to raise a child. All of these thoughts that go back uh, centuries are now being presented to us in a new package. As the old statement, <laughs> it's the same old pig with new lipstick. Socialism comes forward as uh, this utopia. And in Th Sir Thomas More's thought of utopia, it was really meant to be a satire. And utopia means nowhere. It's based upon a dialogue of questions. A, a, a traveler is being questioned, and his name is Raphael Hithdos. And this individual is, uh, his name means peddler of nonsense. And we see people peddling nonsense today. And tonight, we're going to be doing a lot of reading. And I hope that you'll just tune in because, you know, that brings us from Plato to Sir Thomas More up to Sir Francis Bacon in the New Atlantis. Now, documenting all of this stuff and the things that I'm going to be reading with you and sharing with you comes from a book by our good friend of this ministry, Bill Federer. And uh, this book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, unpacks in a very concise, condensed way. It, you're not uh, lost in minutia. He gives you the goods. And I want to encourage you, this is a great read, and almost everything, apart from the scriptural part we'll be sharing tonight, is coming from this book. And you can pick this up at AmericanMinute.com. Once again, Bill Federer's book. What a blessing it is. And so as we look at that, we want to read here as we pick it up, because the timing now is at the time of the pilgrim's journey. You see, in 1626, Sir Francis Bacon wrote New Atlantis, hearkening back to the original Atlantis described by Plato. Bacon's book was published at the time English settlers were setting up colonies in Virginia, Massachusetts, and Newfoundland. Similarly to Sir Thomas More's Utopia, Bacon's mythical New Atlantis was a benevolent, was an island, excuse me, discovered by a lost ship in the Pacific, Pacific uh, west of Peru. Their society is governed by a benevolent wise ruler. This is uh, really a misconception, isn't it? This benevolent, wise ruler is going to set up something that we're going to watch fail in real life, but as far as a fictional work by Sir Francis Bacon, it's a fun read. It, this benevolent, wise ruler whose structure, uh, socialist society, was the chastest nation under heaven, with men and women's behavior being highly regulated. Notice that, men and women's behavior being highly regulated. A parody of Bacon's New Atlantis was written by Jonathan Swift in 1726 titled Gull Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver was, a shi was shipwrecked on the island of Lilliput and observed the ridiculousness of their highly structured society in a governing class and a governed class. In every socialist organization, there are those who are the elites, they're going to do the governing, and they just tell the rest of us who are going to be governed exactly what to do. 
It is of note that neither Plato's, nor Moore's, nor Campanella's, nor Bacon's imagined socialist societies have ever been realized. Nevertheless, naive youth are not dissuaded from continually trying. New statistics, just looking them up, we have no graphic because we were trying to nail it down. But it seems to land about 49-50% of the young people are favorable towards socialism. Every new generation has this idea of utopia, which means nowhereville, and they want to discover where they can get free health care, free school, free food, free housing. They want a free ride. And it sounds great, right? Where's the money tree? How do you produce all of this free stuff? As it's been said, that a government big enough to give you everything is also big enough to take everything you have. You see, the pilgrims were now on their journey, and they discovered, as they were going to be living out, a charter that the founders of their adventure to Massachusetts, they decided to implement the new utopia in the United States of America, though it was just the Americas, the new world at that time. Nothing's established. So what a clean slate to be able to establish a socialist society, and that's the way they set it up. Check this out. Where Plato, Moore, and Campanella, and Bacon were all theoretical, the pilgrims actually attempted to put the theory into practice, and it failed. The pilgrims landed on the shores of Massachusetts in 1620. Their colony bylaws were drawn up by investors in England, influenced by Plato, Moore, and Bacon. They attempted to set up a planned communistic society. The bylaws included elements of Plato's structured, socialist-style communal system, in which all profits and benefits went into ye common stock, and everyone's livelihood came out of ye common stock. The persons transported and ye adventurers shall continue their joint stock and partnership together, ye space of seven years, during which time all profits, and benefits that are got by trade, traffic, trucking, working, fishing, or any other means of any person or persons remain still in ye common stock, that all such persons as are of this colony are to have their meat, drink, apparel, and all provisions out of ye common stock and goods, that at the end of seven, uh, ye seven years, Ye capital and profits, namely the housing, lands, goods, chattels, be equally divided betwixt ye adventurers and planters. So, that was the plan. They were going to implement this new socialist agenda in a common pot, all of the resources and all of the expenses in a shared commonality, and they're going to be giving everybody specific responsibilities that they really don't want because the governed are telling the governing are telling the governed what to do now the pilgrims discovered the emptiness of the theory of plato in real time you might say been there done that tried it doesn't work after experiencing freezing winters shortages of food and deaths pilgrim governor william bradford complained of the emptiness of the theory of plato he is complaining about socialism. 
Bradford, the failure of the experiment of communal service, which was tried for several years, remember the plan was seven years, I think they only got two years into it because it was such a abysmal disaster, and by good and honest men, so there were good people doing it, proves the emptiness of the theory of Plato and other ancients, applauded by some of later times, that the taking away of private property and the possession of it in community by commonwealth would make a state happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God. This was never God's plan. Notice as he continues on. For in this instance, community of property was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment, which would have been to the general benefit. For the young men who were most able and fit for service objected to being forced to spend their time and strength in working for other men's wives and children without any recompense. The strong man or the resourceful man, this is so important to highlight here, the resourceful man had no more share of food, clothes, etc., than the weak man who was not able to do a quarter that the other could. This was thought injustice. The aged and graver men were ranked and equalized in labor, food, clothing, etc., with the humbler and younger ones thought it some indignity and disrespect to them. As for the men's wives who are obliged to do service for the other men, such as cooking, washing their clothes, etc., they considered it a kind of slavery, and many husbands would not tolerate it. <laughs> so here they go. They give this a whirl. The young men got their responsibilities, the older men, the women, and they're all told what to do, and they all resent it extremely. Because of the injustice, those who were resourceful and really accomplished a lot they had no more reward for their hard labor than the lazy man or the weak man or the unable man. Just didn't set well. Bradford goes on. If all were to share alike and if all were to do alike, then all were on an equality throughout and one was as good as another. And so if it did not actually abolish those very relations which God himself has set among men, it did at least greatly diminish the mutual respect that it is so important should be preserved amongst them. Let none argue that this is due to human failing rather than to this communistic plan of life itself. You see, there's an incredible dignity that comes forward with you working and you laboring and rejoicing in that labor. Solomon talks a lot about this in Ecclesiastes. But you see, if you can't have this meritocracy, that the merit that you bring, your ingenuity, your hard work, your abilities, your skills, your gifting, and that they cannot be seen in a recompense or a reward from that, it feels like you've been robbed of the dignity that God has created you for. All of this was due to this thought of a socialist utopia that put into real-world practice absolutely does not work. And this is what we've seen the world over. Everyone who has tried to implement the communist style of governing, the socialist style of governing, has experienced the same thing. It is a powerful government bureaucracy forcing human individuals to do things that they are not created or designed or loved to do. 
You see Ecclesiastes 8, 9, Solomon, who was the wisest man to live until the Lord Jesus showed up on the scene, says in 8, 9 of Ecclesiastes, All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. You see, when people have overreach and tyranny to rule over mankind, it actually hurts the whole process of society. You see, the pilgrims and the emptiness of this theory of Plato at length, Bradford said, after much debate, the governor, with the advice of the chief among them, allowed each man to plant corn for his own household. So every family was assigned a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number. This was very successful. Notice the difference. They're giving a piece of land. They're giving according to their own abilities and their industry. And this was very successful. It made all hands very industrious so that much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means. The governor or any other could devise and saved him a great deal of trouble and gave far better satisfaction. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to plant corn while before they would allege weakness and inability and to have compelled them would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. Notice what happens when you give people individual liberty. You give them individual responsibility. They have the opportunity to use their own energy, their own strength, their own, their, the work of their hands their own industriousness, and they do it with joy because the reward from their labor invested is in direct proportion to their effort that they put into it. These are radical concepts, God-given, God-created, God-designed for the satisfaction of the soul of humanity. Now, their leaders notably Pastor John Robinson and Elder William Bruce, Brewster, introduced biblical concepts that, these are the biblical concepts, this started at the very beginning in, with the pilgrims in the 1600s that moved forward after the terrible failure of socialism, this is what they discovered through the experiment. They experiment in a micro way, microscopic, so that we today don't have to reinvent it in a macro and watch its disaster because they learned these lessons. Check it out. They introduced biblical concepts that the governed should be by the consent of the governed. This means that you have representation and those, those representatives are either voted in or voted out. They're put into office or removed from office based upon the consent of those who are governed. Therefore, there is a checks and balance within the governmental structure. Number two, that government's purpose is to secure to individuals their God-given rights. This is the purpose of government, to see how humanity works in its greatest freedom and liberty to produce success. This is a concept that we're going to see throughout this series that the government's purpose is to secure to individuals their God-given rights. Number three, that all men and women were equal made in the image of God. 
There's an equality in humanity. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter who you are. You all have human dignity that you are created in the image of God. Fourth, that there should be no respect of persons in judgment. That means that you don't elevate this person, that they're some superhero, and you don't diminish this person, that there's no disrespect in humanity. There's a common dignity among individuals. And lastly, that each should do to others as you would have them do to you, Matthew 7:12. So these are the concepts for a society that is built in liberty. Now, the contrast to that is what does the Bible say if you were to contrast it with this socialist, communistic perspective that many say, oh, Christianity promotes a communistic, socialistic agenda. They turn to the book of Acts and they see people selling what they wanted to have and they laid it at the apostles' feet and they distributed it to the needs. There's a radical difference between a person having his own private property, in that case, uh, like a Barnabas, he sold a piece of land, he gave it to the apostles, the apostles were feeding widows, they were taking care of the poor, because you see, he owned the property, he voluntarily sold the property, and he voluntarily gave the proceeds from the property because the Lord motivated him. And because of that, there would be great joy. It's better to give than to receive. But if somebody takes your private property and says all of these needy people need your property and we don't get your consent, then you have violated a basic principle that is voluntary in nature. Barnabas was loving his neighbor as himself because these people had needs and he wanted to love them and he wanted to minister to them in the story of the book of Acts. But basically, the difference between socialism and what we would call the Matthew principle. This is all through the scriptures that work and the reward for labor is built in and the amount of later labor and the gifting of the person doing the labor specifically produces either a heightened or a lessening of the degree of the reward that comes back. It's a direct proportion of sowing and reaping through the individual God-given liberties that you've been given. You see, this principle that Jesus gives in this, that's why it's called the Matthew principle, in Matthew chapter 25, he says this, verse 29, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Meaning, as I have and I am fruitful, and as I sow and I reap, that which I have then will increase. It's from a biblical perspective, rather than those who would say it's capitalistic, it's selfish, it's this or that. No, it's the freedom of an individual investing freely his abilities and getting the reward. And however he receives that reward in the Christian light, the Judeo-Christian ethic from Genesis to Revelation, we call that the blessing of God. God gives me the strength. God gives me the ability. God has created me to function in this way. And as I have liberty in society to function that way, then the reward comes. Now, if I have lesser gifts, then the reward will probably be lesser. In this specific passage in Matthew chapter 25, it's talking about the talents. And it says that the Lord gave to each one, or the master of the house gave to each one an amount of money, a talent, um, and... To one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. And he says, according to their ability. God gives according to the ability. Now, in Luke's gospel, in the parable of the minas, 
he gave these 10 individuals all one mina apiece. That meant there was a, those were the things that all humans have in common. It wasn't based upon the abilities. It was based upon the things that we all have in common. I got one, you got one, everyone got one. There are certain things in life that uh, we have equal status. You, you can't work longer than me in the sense that there's only 24 hours in the day. That's common to you. That's common to me. There's many things that, that are the bookends of the parameters, what you and I can do and what's available for you and I. But this concept of this Matthew concept, that if you are faithful with what is given to you, you receive the reward from that, and it grows and it increases, and it's called prosperity. It's called blessing. It's called success. It's called satisfaction. These are not filthy, dirty, four-letter words. This is God's creation. This is God's design. And the thing is about those who embrace socialism, that those surveyed, 98% of those who had an inclination towards socialism rejected a biblical worldview. And that only makes sense. If you remove God as the authority and the creator, you see socialism and communism elevates the state, the government, to the level of omnipotence, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all in control because you've removed God from that throne that is rightly as due. But for the Christian, we understand this, the Matthew principle. You see, the first guy got five talents. In Matthew 25, 21, as he stood before his master, a picture of us standing before the Lord with what he's entrusted us with in life, it, it says, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. This guy was given five talents, and he made five talents. And the Lord said, you were faithful with what I gave you. And because you increased that and you offer it back to me, now I'm going to make you ruler over many things since you know how to be faithful with that which is least. You see, meritocracy or merit or earning your own way, working hard is God's creation for human dignity. That's how he's designed us. And to take that away and to have a socialist agenda is as far away from, you might call it capitalism, you might call it free enterprise, you might call it all kinds of things, but let me just share with you that this principle, this Matthew principle, is that if you invest and work hard in what you're doing, you will reap the reward and the blessing of that. Well, check this out. <laughs> what happens... If you don't want to work, what happens if you just look at other people with envy? What happens when you have a stinky attitude and you look at everybody that's out there, they're working hard, they're successful, they're crushing it? Today in our culture, we have a whole culture of victimhood that looks at successful people and hates them because they covet what they have. They want their money. They want their home. They want their career. They want their recognition. They want all of that stuff, but they don't want to get up in the morning and work at it. They want to say, I'm a victim. You're an oppressor. You're, you know, you're keeping me in this place. And even they have the victimhood that they may even go so far as blaming God. That's what this guy does. There's three people that are examined or give a report to the Lord and this is this man's report about the Lord and about what he thought 
of this whole idea of the Matthew principle of free enterprise, of using his own gifts. Bottom line, the guy had a stinking attitude and was lazy. It says this, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Get this. This is the Matthew principle, the lazy guy. Take that talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Now, why would you take this away? Well, you know what? If you don't use it, you lose it. We live in a whole culture today, an entire culture that is saturated in victimhood. We live in a culture that it's everybody else's fault. They're blaming everybody else because they don't get out of bed in the morning. They don't go to work. They don't study for their tests. So now we've got to change the whole structure of society because the voice is getting so loud of servants just like the one we just read about that are lazy, that are covetous, that are bitter, that is res they're resentful because their teachers and their leaders, rather than teaching them the Matthew principle, hey, get up, invest your life in something you love and watch the fruit of blessing come. It's that easy. What do you love to do? Give yourself to it and watch the blessing and the fruit come. Rather, they tell them, you're a victim. You are so oppressed. In the intersectionality of life, you just don't have a shot. Well, history is full of people that were the most underprivileged, the most oppressed, the most devastated, downtrodden people in life, and yet... They made the most of their life, and now their names are household names. Nobody could tell them they were a victim, because victimhood is something you choose. So I'd encourage you, if you're being led down to the trail of victimhood, and everybody, there's the haves and the have-nots, well, the haves have usually, unless they are trust fund babies and they're receiving the wealth from their family, but most people that make it from nothing to something pursued something they loved. This is God's plan. This is God's design. Pray. Ask God what he's created you for, how he's designed you, what do you love, and pursue it with all your heart. And that's what Solomon told us. He said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, all of your might, and you will see the blessing and the prosperity and the success and the satisfaction of discovering how God has created and designed you. Do we have to do an experiment today in America if socialism works or not? Just ask the pilgrims how it worked out for them and how when they simply trusted the individuals to pursue the self-interest that was in front of them to explore their gifts. And then as they had blessing, you see what they want to do? They want to be generous, and you're going to want to help other people with that blessing. And then there's joy when you give. But if somebody holds a gun to your head and takes away your money, 
to give it to other people who have never worked for it. We call that robbery. But in today's world, they call that social justice. How sad what is on the threshold of America if we don't wake up, smell the coffee, and listen up to the lesson that the pilgrims taught us and far before them what Jesus taught us. God bless you. See you next time. Hey guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to vintagemccoy.com or follow us on Instagram at the Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.